Coming to you from DevX Studios in Washington, D.C., welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short. I'm Kate Midden, and this week we are joined by U.N. correspondent Amy Lieberman, who joins us on the phone from New York to talk about sexual harassment at the U.N. Amy, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Kate, for bringing us this conversation and this discussion. Hopefully it'll be interesting. You know, you spent a lot of time, especially over the past year, really looking in depth at sexual harassment within the UN system. There, there's so many different avenues for us to go down here, but I want to hear kind of what led you to taking this in-depth look. Sure. I was just looking back at this. It actually started off um, maybe a little over a year ago um, with me just kind of reporting very simply what policy changes are happening at the UN, what conversations are happening with some officials regarding this. And before that, we had a colleague, Sophie Edwards, who wrote about a statement that was put out by the Interagency Standing Committee, and as well as some studies that have been done by different organizations that really showed that the issue of sexual harassment, discrimination, sexual abuse within the aid industry really is a problem. And I think partially in response to that and partially other factors, including the Me Too movement, led uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres to start really speaking about this as part of his policy as a newly appointed SG and also other agency heads starting to really take this on. So it sounds like it was a mix of we started seeing these reports coming out and then Me Too, which feels like, you know, it feels like it started so much longer ago, but just happened last October also getting Antonio Guterres in leadership. And if we do recall, he beat out Helen Clark for the top job at the UN, so kind of came in with a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder, I think, about supporting women in that role. It sounds like a lot of things at once were kind of gravitating you towards this topic. I think that's right. And his, So one of his major policy issues is uh, gender equality. And part of that is looking at just the advancement of women to high-level positions at the UN. And then part of that also is him saying we have to sort of rethink the way that we're looking at sexual harassment within the UN, which I thought was really interesting because typically, and I reported on this previously years ago, and other people obviously have done a lot of reporting on this too, the focus has really just been on UN peacekeepers and the violence they're committing sometimes against uh, people that they're designated to serve. Yeah, I do feel like... When you think about UN and sexual harassment, peacekeepers are definitely the first group that comes to mind. But kind of, what what is the depth and breadth of this issue? I think it's been understood for a long time that there's a problem with the with training and accountability and behavior of some peacekeepers. Um, that extends, I think, to obviously most likely not intentional, except the transmission of cholera in Haiti. Um, going back to, you know, more than a decade ago when you had a big incident in um, Bosnia-Herzegovina regarding UN peacekeepers sexually trafficking uh, women. So this is not something that's new at the UN, and there are policies in place to prevent this. What the SG did, what Guterres did coming in that is different, is saying we need a more victim-centric approach on this issue. Um, we need more accountability for governments that are allowing this to occur when they send peacekeepers to different places. But as I mentioned, the discussion surrounding, okay, well, we're taking care of that, but what's really happening, you know, UN worker to UN worker, that, that really is new, I think. And for me, that was really interesting to start to explore. So beyond just the peacekeeping branch of the UN, how have sexual harassment cases and sexual abuse cases historically been handled at the UN? 
it is complicated. It's different, obviously, if you're a peacekeeper and you're um, dealing with a case with a local woman who's not employed by the UN or contracted by the UN, because that person really will not have very much recourse at all. But was somewhat surprising for me to find is that even if you work at the UN, uh, it still is pretty difficult to move forward on a case for a variety of reasons. One of them, I think, being um, even just simply the legal matter of what do you do if you're, you know, a woman from England and you say that a man from, I don't know, Switzerland had had raped you when you were in Kenya. Who is responsible for that legally? There's this really interesting question of immunity that comes into it and if that person leaves the country, how do you get that person back? So actually getting some type of recourse that most people or some people would want following a case like that is really difficult. But beyond that, simply as an administrative matter, the policies at the UN vary a lot um, and they're continuing to evolve when it comes to really addressing this and to following through on reports. When you say they vary, are you talking about variations between different UN agencies or different teams within agencies? What does that kind of administrative process look like? I think the work culture naturally will vary across different agencies and within agencies as well. Um, I think it can be harder if you're in the field potentially to follow through on something and to feel like you can speak up on this. but even agency to agency, it, it does vary. Uh, there are different processes for it. So sometimes it could be just you're going to report to a staff union or there's an ombudsman there, or maybe some of those positions could be contracted if you're a smaller agency out to a different one. UN Women most recently appointed a woman uh, who is now responsible just as a spokesperson for sexual sexual harassment, which is pretty interesting. Kernisan is her name. I spoke with her a few months ago. But it I think a big part of the problem, and the Secretary General has addressed this, is that when people are um, assaulted or harassed or bullied or whatever it might be, they're not quite sure where to go first. And one response for that has been the UN Secretariat to set up a helpline. So they won't necessarily say, um, this is exactly what you should do, but they will say, these are your options for reporting, and here's what you should consider. The other thing that has come up in your reporting when you're talking about taking, you know, a victim-centered approach to sexual harassment, there's the actual reporting of it to authorities. There is the, you know, they might have like setting up a helpline, that kind of thing. But what struck me in your reporting was also the standard of proof that is required. And what you've talked to a lot of women who have tried to bring cases against the UN or who have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. How is the standard of proof for reporting? What does that look like within the UN? Again, I think it does vary, but I mean, from what I've been told from people who used to investigate this matter at OIOS, Office of Internal Oversight Services, I believe, if the facts don't present themselves immediately or just kind of easily, it often won't be done. Obviously, that's one former investigator's opinion, um, but I have heard that in other cases, it's, it's difficult uh, to really, as in, I think in any sexual harassment or abuse case that's outside the UN as well, it often comes down to a he said, she said type of thing. And what is different about the UN is that I think there is a certain culture of people being very nervous that if they speak out, if they do something, it won't be received well. It could ostracize them from colleagues. Um, It could mean that they might lose their contract, and that is what some people who I spoke to said happened to them, that they were, you know, it was difficult for them to get hired after they lost their contract with the UN, 
and working there has uh, benefits to people. Obviously, you have pay, you have job security, you have benefits that people, just actual, you know, childcare, whatever that people are really relying on that might persuade them to maybe not speak out as much or to just hesitate to. The Me Too movement really signaled kind of a flashpoint for looking kind of across the organization at what sexual harassment looks like, kind of how much it happens, and looking at these different policies. What kind of movement have you seen since last October when Me Too really gained steam? I think you've seen both many more allegations come out against pretty high-level UN officials, and you've seen um, people who say this has happened to them, they've been harassed or abused, willingly speaking up about this. I think that certain, I think it has helped people feel a little more secure in saying, this has happened to me, this is wrong, and I'm not alone in this. It's generally just given the issue more recognition, more validation, I think, and it's also put some pressure on the UN, I think, because there has been a decent amount of reporting that's come out on this, but this is not uncommon at the UN, um, that often the resolutions are not really what people who say they were harassed or abused, what they, what they are hoping for, and it is, I think, putting their feet to the fire a little bit on this issue. You know, earlier you mentioned this hire of a spokeswoman on sexual harassment. Could you talk a little bit about what that person does? And is there good news for this spokesperson to talk about? I don't know how you define good news, but I think there there is a lot for her to talk about. Um, so one of the issues that she's really focused on, Pernasan, is that everyone is coordinated within you and women in touch with each other and that they're engaging kind of consistently with what's happening. Because I think, as I mentioned, a lot of the issue people have spoken up to me is just generally communication and people feeling cut off and not knowing exactly what the procedures are. Um, she's also going to be doing some analysis of just broader processes, I believe, related to gender inequality and discrimination. And then she's working to connect with women who say they've experienced sexual harassment um, and I think hear their stories. And I think she has a very important position of just visualizing this issue and saying, this is something that's real, it's happening, and we're taking it seriously. And one way of showing that they are is appointing someone who had a pretty high-level position previously at UN Women just to really be focused on this. So this isn't really a spokeswoman in like the traditional kind of press lead for an organization. It's someone who's really tasked with making these processes more streamlined and better for people who are the victims of sexual harassment and abuse. Yes, I think that's right. Given Me Too, you see this flurry of action, you see this appointment of the spokeswoman, you see more people reporting. There's also this feminist coalition that you've written about. Can you talk a little bit about what that that internal organization is and what its mandate is? Sure, so it's, um, it's a staff-led organization um, of women who are all employed by the UN and they initially, I believe there's another organization at least that pushed for the appointment of a female SG. That didn't happen and I think some of these organizations some advocates, activists were saying, okay, let's reconvene and let's let's say with Guterres, what do we really want to happen so the UN can become a more feminist, equal place. Um, And part of that issue for them, as I mentioned, is ensuring certain policies like parental leave are improved upon at the UN. And part of that also is saying we have to be thinking about harassment and discrimination a little more strategically here. 
So what has Guterres done that has been effective since he's gotten into his place of leadership? And what are places where he's received criticism or things that he has not done? Sure. He convened a high-level task force on sexual harassment um, earlier this year, which is designed really to, again, rethink the way sexual harassment and abuse is approached internally at the UN. I think that the results of that organization and that group are yet to really be seen. I think that they've not they've not come out publicly so far with that. So I think we've just, we're still waiting on that a little bit to really see um, the progress of this. I think by he set up a helpline, um, which is good, and I think generally by just he's been speaking about this issue fairly regularly. Um, he said that underreporting is happening, and we know that um, he's not shying away from the topic. One of the issues is the way that individual agencies handle this and report on this, it doesn't really fall under his purview. So he is a little bit limited in how much he can do if, I don't know the exact percentages here, but a lot of people working for the UN work outside of the of UN Secretariat. So he would not have authority over anyone who works outside his own Secretariat to change these policies? As far as I understand it, no. I mean, he can set the tone at a pretty high level, but individual agencies are deciding for themselves, you know, how long they want to give someone before they can report harassment or abuse, what the exact procedure for this is, all of those details. Something that became very clear in your reporting is that the process of reporting a case of abuse can often be just as emotionally damaging as the abuse itself. So can you talk a little bit about that journey to reporting? Right. So that was really interesting for me. Um, And that story came about sort of organically in an interesting way. Um, I reported earlier this year, I did a pretty big piece looking at exactly what's involved if you want to report, just on a very technical level. What are the steps you have to take? What are the, you know, hoops you have to jump through? And we also put out a call for people to write to DevEx um, with their experiences and stories if they had experienced harassment or abuse. And one of the notes that we got was from someone who had reported and found it difficult to report, um, just going through the steps. But then also, emotionally, I think it was pretty difficult for her. And I started hearing from more people like that. Um, I found there was something of a network of people, which I found really interesting who had gone through this process and some of them know each other. And I started hearing the same thing over and over, which was either this was too difficult for me to follow through on and it was it was really upsetting when that happened or um, I did follow through on it. It took a lot of time. It could have taken a lot of money because in some cases they were covered, I believe, by different unions. Um, but, you know, it was hard for me to get work after this. I suffered from severe emotional distress and reliving this experience, basically, having to talk about it, going through legal proceedings, having a case be denied or appealed or whatever it is, it takes a major toll on people, which I think is understandable that it just, you get caught up in this and it it becomes really hard. Because your own very personal trauma is being dragged through a bureaucratic nightmare. Right. And I think, you know, obviously we don't know the exact details of every single story and what, what occurred, but you're also being questioned just um, are you telling the truth or not? You know, for something that um, people say happened to them and was very traumatizing at the time. That's not just the basic facts are being questioned. 
this, I also want to go back a bit to this question about the standard of proof, because I feel like beyond sort of the rank and file, the bureaucracy and the paperwork and everything that you have to file, um, you know, being questioned on whether you're lying or not, but also being able to prove that something happened would be extremely hard. Because I, when we're talking about sexual harassment, this ranges from something like rape to having a boss that maybe you know, gropes you inappropriately and says sexual things to you. But how do you prove that in this kind of rank and file system, barring, you know, just recording all the time? Right. I mean, I have seen experience with some people who created pretty intensive logs of um, this happened this day, then that happened another week. So that's one way people are, I think some people are doing it. Um, there are email trails that some people have shown also that we've seen that show, you know, this was reported to this person on this date. Um, and typically you see those escalate over time that people start off kind of a little more local, trying to talk to a direct supervisor and then move their way up when they're finding that yeah, it's not working for them. In your reporting, when you've talked to UN officials, do you feel that there is kind of a global recognition within the organization that this is an issue? Or do you feel that this is something that there has been movement on just because Me Too has brought it into the spotlight and it would look bad for them not to? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was spoken of. I think the major difference is I don't think there's anyone saying this is new per se. Um, you know, for as long as I can remember, there's been a lot of talk of the UN being a boys club and a difficult place for, for women to work often. But I hadn't heard that conversation go to the level of saying, you know, it's not that uncommon for people to feel bullied or harassed in some way and to be afraid to speak up on it. Um, and I think that openness is happening more now to some degree that people are, there's a recognition basically that this is a problem. I think much more broadly, it's not a problem that's just regarding UN peacekeepers and that it really has to be dealt with in a better way. It does feel like it's getting more visible. At DevEx, we covered the International AIDS Society's AIDS 2018 conference in Amsterdam, and UN AIDS chief Michel Sidibe spoke but was bombarded by protesters after being accused of enabling sexual harassment in his own agency. Mm-hmm. And I think backing someone who um, is now gone, a deputy executive director. Um, but yeah, that is, I think that is becoming much more common. And also the fact that this is not just a UN issue, I think we should keep in mind, right? You've had other major organizations, aid organizations, other organizations have to come to terms with what that means for them, that you have all these claims of harassment coming out. Um, you know, whether that means funding losses or really just reorganizing a little bit, but it's definitely not isolated to the UN and the aid world. So looking ahead, do you see Guterres really tackling this into the future, or do you see any, like, what is next on the horizon for the UN in terms of strengthening their policies around this? I think I would be curious to see what the task force that he convened comes out with, what those recommendations are. Um... I'd be curious to see if the reporting patterns change at all at the UN. Um, I think more often you've had analysis of uh, UN peacekeepers and their uh, the potential violence or harassment they committed, how that extends to internal reporting practices at the UN. I think that's really important. And then also, um, I think his gender 
reform strategy does play into this more broadly as well. So steps that will be taken to basically make the UN a, a better place for for both women and men to work. And then also, I think you will see some traction still from individual agencies saying we have to rethink what we're doing here a little bit. Are there any UN agency heads that have been more vocal about this than others? Um, you do have OHCHR, the UN Human Rights Office, that kind of early on, before the UN Secretariat released um, their plans for a helpline, came out with something similar, saying we need to have people who are trained, um, who can set up a volunteer network of in-house first responders to address an appropriate conduct. And we reported on that almost a year ago. Kate Gilmore, the deputy head of that agency, I just, she's so great. If you don't know who she is, please Google her. Look at the stuff that we've published from her because she's been a champion on this. Right, and she was also, she actually was appointed a top person for a working group um, that's looking at this issue. So they've been pretty vocal from very early on, I think. And that is called the Dignity at Work Policy. Um, that we see is our undertaking with the Interagency Standing Committee, the IASC, which again was one of the first organizations to come out and say this is a real problem. That was in March 2017. Amy, one thing that we haven't gotten into yet is the accountability issue. Um, in your reporting, you talk about this system where, you know, there's a sexual violence case within the UN. It gets reported to the UN. The UN is evaluating it. The UN takes a look at at its own people and decides if they're guilty or not. And then the UN makes a determination. That doesn't feel to me like a very independent accountability mechanism. Is that the proper assessment of that? What do you see as the accountability landscape within the UN? You do have a dispute tribunal that is independent um, of the UN. Uh, you do have some, you know, entities like the OIOS, which supposedly is made up of independent investigators. Um, part of that issue has been, as I understand it, that there's a belief that some people who are investigating these issues are not trained well enough to investigate sexual harassment or abuse specifically. So I think that's been recognized as a problem, but. Um, you're right. I mean, generally, one of the issues is, is that this is dealt with internally, and there are different channels through which you can handle it internally, but it, most likely it's still going to be internal, and there's a possibility that, you know, someone investigating your case could have worked with someone who you have accused of harassing or abusing you. Um, you don't have the ability, as others might who are working, you know, if you try to go to HR at a regular company that's not the U.N., to then escalate and go to the police, you can't really do that um, quite as easily when you are working at the UN. What are the biggest unanswered questions for you? Is even kind of taking a look under the hood at this issue across the UN, are there kind of common themes or just questions that have been really unanswered? Um, I think this question of really how common it is at the UN, because there is some we have some studies out there, some surveys that show that this is an issue, but I don't think anything officially from the UN yet. I don't know if that would make a difference coming from the UN or coming from an independent group, but there is still that question for me is really how common is this? And then also with these changes that are coming into place now, what is the result of that? Is this issue getting better or are we just going to hear about more cases? And, you know, is that the result of just talking about it, that more people are going to come out of the woodwork? Um, 
basically what are the trends on this? Where is this going? For anyone listening to this, we did launch Aid 2 towards the end of last year. That was you know, the Me Too of the aid and international development industry. You can find more about this ongoing campaign on our website and on Twitter using hashtag Aid 2. And please do get in touch. We have tipline at devx.com set up. You can submit anonymously or through your personal email but would urge anyone to get in touch. We have a team of reporters and editors that are dedicating to this and dedicated to this and spending real time with these stories and teasing out how what's happening and how to make the world better for women. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kate. In other news this week, Oxfam Great Britain has got a new CEO. The NGO has been embroiled in sexual harassment allegations and scandal for the past six months. Across the water, the Global Climate Action Summit is officially kicked off in San Francisco. And the day before it kicked off on Monday, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres announced a high-level UN summit on climate change to take place in 2019. Stay on top of the latest news, signing up for our newsletter and following us on Twitter, twitter.com slash devx, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash devx. Thank you, and we will see you next week.